This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome to the show. We have a good show today. Aaron Brockovich. Uh, remember Aaron Brockovich from the movie Aaron Brockovich. That was Julia Roberts, actually. On the show today to talk about um, what's going on with the water. And she just wrote a new book, uh, Superman's Not Coming. Guys, this book is amazing. If you ever needed a place where there's just one place where everything you wanted to know about how to know what's wrong with water what exactly is wrong with water, and what's going on. Uh, this is it. I mean, it's Aaron Brockovich, for Christ's sakes. It was great talking to her. I talked to her uh, uh, yesterday. We had a real good conversation. And coincidentally, this was the and before when I went, and earlier. Um, and the uh, settlement was just done in the Flint, Michigan, lead water uh, case. So that was good news, where it looks like uh, the people in Flint are finally going to get something out of it, some money or something like that. I think there's still a problem going on there and everything. But when I did the nightly shows, I told you guys I wouldn't forget about Flint. You know, I've been following this story. And I'm so happy to see that uh, they're getting, you know, some kind of redress, at least a, something. I think it was like, it might have been $600 million. It was a lot of money. But uh, thank God. I mean, it's the least they can do when you think about it. But Aaron Brockovich is going to be on, and we're going to talk about uh, water and um, everything you need to know. So before I get to the convention this week, I had some news I said I was going to share with you, and many of you have seen it already, so it's already like, it's not that big of a deal. But I am coming back to television, for those of you that haven't seen the news. I have a new show that's coming on uh, the Peacock streaming service. It's NBC Universal's new streaming service called Peacock is the name of it. Um, it starts in September, and it'll be on Friday nights. And we're doing it as kind of a special right now. 
covering uh, the election. And it's funny, I wanted to get on TV and do maybe a town hall or something, but we figured, why don't we just do it as like a 10 or 11 week, you know, special. Cover the election, you know, talk about current events, what's going on in the world, and uh, have some, you know, some interesting guests, interesting uh, guests each week, somebody we can talk to, to kind of deconstruct what's going on, you know, weigh in. A different version of what I'm doing here. So I'm very excited about that, you guys. Starts in September, September 18th, I believe. I will keep you posted on this pod. And the pod, I have to tell you guys, the next couple of months, it may be, may be a little jagged. So I apologize for that. I may be here this week, maybe not the next week, but we'll play it by ear. But I'll definitely make a commitment to, you know, try to keep in touch with you guys. But, and the name of the show is Wilmore. Yeah. And, and <laughs> the funny thing is, man, it took us a while to come up with that one. It seems simple, but we're just keeping it simple. We're calling it Wilmore. Uh, it's growing on me. It's growing on me. Um, I think maybe eventually I'll like it, but it's growing on me. Wilmore's the name of the show. Coming on Peacock. Uh, you can download Peacock on your phone, put it on your iPad, uh, your Android device, uh, Apple TV, all that kind of stuff. I don't think it's available on Roku yet, but I believe that it will be hopefully soon. So that's how you can get it. Wilmore on Peacock. Friday nights starting September 18th. It's going to be fun. Amber Ruffin, the very talented comedian and writer from Seth Meyers, has a late night show also and is going to be premiering in September as well. So we're going to be on that Friday night. Amber's so funny. If you guys haven't seen Amber, you're in for a treat. She's hilarious. Um, so that's going to be cool. Amber and Larry going to be on Peacock, y'all. <laughs> we're going to be anchoring that Friday night. Um, I told you, things, you know, Peacock and... These streaming services, these hubs, this you guys know this is the future of television. I said this a while ago. This is where TV is going. So I think people are going to go to these places and just get everything they want, you know. You know, and I'm hopefully I can help, um, you know, in the peacock part of it. <laughs> so we'll see. But we have a great team and it's really a lot of fun. All right. On to the election. Oh, yeah. I never got a chance to comment on Kamala. I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was really a great pick from Joe Biden. And, you know, I've criticized Kamala on this pod before many times. My my biggest criticism of Kamala from the beginning was I just wanted her to be herself. And it just seemed like she was dancing around that to try to maybe appease the left of the party, the progressive wing, or maybe her handlers or whatever. But it just seemed like she was all over the place for a lot of it. And, you know, she had a lot of followers, people who really liked her a lot. But, you know... At the end of the day, you got to connect with something that really kind of shows who you are in many ways, you know. And for some reason, I don't know what it was. There was just a problem with that. But that was my criticism of her. But now that she's the vice presidential pick, I'm like, yeah, come on. You know, I'm on the Kamala train. I think she's going to be great. And now she's being more authentic, which is nice. And probably because she doesn't have to, you know, try to get that nomination, because it's so difficult. It's such a difficult thing to do to cut through all of that crap and everything and get the attention, right? So I'm not saying it's easy, by the way, but I am saying that was my critique. So, But I thought that was a really good pick from uh, Joe Biden. And then the uh, the kind of comments that are said about comment are just ridiculous. It, and the worst one of all, and I hate even talking about this person, but I feel like you have to mention some of this shit sometimes, just so people know that it's being said and being out there, right? 
Rush Limbaugh, who President Trump decided should get a presidential medal of honor, or medal of freedom, whatever it's called, basically called Kamala a hoe. I mean, come on, you guys. A hoe. What the fuck is wrong with these people? Honestly, they think that this is funny. And that's his critique. And he's supposed to be taken seriously. And he gets that medal? I mean, that's crazy. He gets the same medal that John Lewis got? So anyhow, I mean, it's it's why part of the divide in this country and the way that we talk about things and what is being valued and everything. And the fact that this, you know, that these words that is said by this person who just, you and you would think, the fact that he just got this medal, you would think that he would have some sense and not say some things like that. But the other side of that is it's probably why he got the medal. It's probably why, you know, that's what Trump is rewarding is that type of talk and that type of rhetoric. Just think about that. That's where we are right now. That's what's being rewarded. That's what's being elevated for like in years to come when people look, I wonder who won this presidential medal of freedom. Hmm. I wonder, well, what was it? Rush Limbaugh, what kind of a name is that? Oh, this guy must have been really important. Oh, who is he? What What kind of language is this? Who is this person? When Rush Limbaugh first came out, you guys, this was in the early 90s. I mean, you know, he had been out for a while, but I remember when the Clintons came into office and I think I was driving to work or something, you know, just scanning the radio. Rush Limbaugh was on. I said, well, let me check this out. And then I remember... I never listened to him. I listened to him once, and that was enough for me. And this is like, when did they come into office? 92? 1992. Okay. His first critique of Hillary Clinton, maybe not his first, but the first critique that I heard of the first lady of the United States was to say she had fat calves. That's his critique. Fat calves. I was like, who the fuck is this motherfucker? I turned that shit off so fast. But that was... I mean, guys, this, like the kind of, how much our political talk has gotten into the gutter and the people who are actually responsible for it, you know, it's no mystery. It's, and the, and the fact that it's rewarded at the highest level for president too is, I still can't believe it. So anyhow, Joe Biden has to win. They had the convention this past week. I don't know how many of you guys saw it. It was a little bizarre. I'm old school. I love the crowds. You know, I love people going up there, you know, when they're announcing people, you go, oh, stop it. And then they're doing that point. Hey, I see you over there. I see you there. Wait, are you clapping for me? Come on, you guys, stop. Stop clapping. I got to make my speech. Okay. All right. Okay. Now you're still clapping. Come on. You guys really like me. You know, you just, I just love that energy, you know, of the crowd and everything. And I was really, I was really a little snarky on that first night. It just seemed kind of odd, but you get kind of used to it and you realize, you know, I'm like, Larry, calm down. They have to do something for Christ's sakes. <laughs> and I thought they did a pretty good job, actually. Um, some of the moments were really nice. Michelle Obama, of course, just crushed it. I mean, her speech was amazing. And that's the way you do it, by the way. Obama was kind of interesting because he gave one of these presidential warning speeches, which was kind of out of character for him. You know, he's usually soaring and inspirational. But um, President Eisenhower gave a speech at the end of his term that a lot of people played years later where he he tried to warn America about the rise of the military industrial complex. And he wasn't wrong, you know, and he had 
that same kind of tone, not as harsh as Obama, but it wasn't a typical Eisenhower tone, you know. Um, you know, and he was the commander of the Allied Forces in World War II. So, and here he is worried about the industrial military complex. That that's pretty amazing that he would say that kind of thing. So here's Obama warning us, and Hillary Clinton to a certain extent too. Yeah, warning us about what kind of the real danger of, of Trump really is. Because they know, you know, Obama actually read his briefings every day. Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, she talked to a lot of these leaders out there. She knows the dangers that are out there. One of the reasons why she probably had her work on her own <laughs> server at home. But they know it is no joke, you know, the task of taking the job seriously in the White House. That is not to be taken lightly. And I agree with what they're saying. It's one of the things that gets me going the most. It's like, you can agree or disagree with the president, but the task of the president is to provide for the safety and security of the United States and its citizens. And this person in there now is, as far as I'm concerned, doing the opposite. And uh, I'm happy they gave dire warnings. It was really good. And when I say really good, I mean it's really important. It doesn't make it really does not make me happy, but I think it really is important and really needed. God bless you both, Obama and Hillary Clinton. Um, just really, really important. This should have been President Hillary Clinton. So Kamala's speech, finally, like I said, she was very good. She was authentic. We learned about her story. She embraced both her African American and her Indian side, which I think is important. I felt like she was sloughing off the Indian side. She's trying to kind of, you know, cozying up more to the black side, it seemed like. It's like, okay, I get it. I know the black vote is very important, but don't forget your Indian side now, Kamala, you know. And I'm glad that both of those sides came out equally because they're equally important. She was raised by her Indian mom, you know. So that was good. And then Biden's speech. And I, I don't know what to think about Biden as the candidate who has arrived now. Um, it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of months. It's going to be a rocky road, though. It's not going to be easy. The debate with Trump, who knows what kind of clusterfuck circus show that's going to be. But man, I just, I love Joe Biden reading off a prompter. But once that prompter's away, that's when trouble starts. And let's just hope he can stay focused. Uh, this is too important. So, I'm going to keep talking about this, um, of course, on my pod and on my new show, Wilmore, on Peacock, which you guys got to tune in. We're going to cover the election in both places there. So I got you guys covered, okay? But I think with the convention, we're off to a good start, and it's going to be really interesting to see what the Republicans do next week. We'll see. All right, coming up, we got Aaron Brockovich. Superman is not coming, you guys, but Aaron Brockovich is. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, 
you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. If you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if appropriate, a doctor will prescribe a custom-blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You'll also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So go to GetRoman.com slash Larry to try out a three-month supply of nightly defense for just $5. It's free to chat with the doctor, and your first order is just $5. That's GetRoman.com slash Larry. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. such a pleasure to have uh, this next person as a guest. I was just talking to her off, off mic. She truly is a national treasure, guys, because she's doing the work. When you talk about who's doing the work out there, this is an example of somebody who's not only walking the walk, talking the talk, but working the work. The name of the book is Superman's Not Coming. She'll tell you the rest of the title. Aaron Brockovich, welcome to Black on the Air, Aaron. It's, it's such an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Oh, Larry, it's an honor and a pleasure and a thrill to be with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I became an instant fan, of course, from the movie, you know, Julia Roberts, as so many people were. And I think, you know, a good movie's a good movie, but so many people, I think, were just taken by your story and how, really how innocent it all started and everything. It was that classic everyman story. Hollywood couldn't write something like that, you know, <laughs> but uh, what I was struck by the book is how I love the fact that you wrote this book because you take the mythology out of it, you know, and you really make it real, you know, this whole water crisis that we have is, does that, is that about right? You know, it is about right. And it, it is so real and it's even gotten bigger than I think I ever mm -hmm. thought that it would become uh, from the movie to today. Yeah. And yet that happened 20 years ago and it's here today and even worse. And mm. I, I wrote the book, Superman's not coming because I've, seen throughout these communities where they feel they don't have a voice, 
they're oftentimes told, well, you shouldn't speak up or speak out because you're not this or you're not that, or you don't have this degree. And oftentimes we pull back and say nothing. But there was also this idea that something, an agency or a health department or the federal government or the EPA would be there to save us. And I always had to be the bearer of bad news and it it broke (laughs) my heart. Um, Yeah, no, they're not coming. And they're like, what? And it evolved to, you know, Superman's not coming, but guess what? That's okay. We're here. Superman's not coming, but Wonder Woman is here. (laughs) (laughs) We're all here. And and that's the thing. And we share these stories with you. Right. The most inspiring thing for me is when the community, the individual, and then collectively Mm -hmm. the community gets that information, gets that knowledge, which becomes empowerment to them. And they understand it. They act and they respond right at their own backyard. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. And we share that throughout the book to help inspire others that, you know, oh my gosh, when I began my work in Hinkley, and of course, you know, I'm always called the foul mouth with, you know, the big bus <laughs> and the short skirts. And what do you right. know? You're not a doctor. You're not a lawyer. You're not a scientist. Sure. Well, you know what? Most of us aren't, but you don't have to be any of that to care about your water, to care about your health, to understand that something's going wrong, like two-headed frog, green water, when yellow water and brown water come out of your tap, to say something's not right. And we have to learn that anytime anyone starts pushing on me about you're wrong, go away, shut up, I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) What do you know? (laughs) Yeah. it sets me off on that investigation. And every one of us has that skill and that ability. And every one of us at some form are being affected by water issues, uh, lack of water, wells running dry, pollution of water. Um, you know, we could go to lead in water everywhere and what happened in Flint, which today, you know, they saw some justice uh, with Thank the $600 God. million dollar settlement. This was breaking news today. It's so timely that I'm speaking to you. And I talked about this on my show, on the Nightly Show. We covered it extensively. It was $600 million that is being paid out like in a class action lawsuit type of of deal. Is that what it is? Correct. Correct. And it's been a long time coming. And, you know, they've I this community is amazing. And Mm -hmm. they should be a memorable living example for us, not only because of the lead, but because of their response, because of their community collective effort. A dog holding on to that bone and not letting it go. Yeah, they really were. They have the power of stick-to-itiveness. And what justice comes in many forms for us, and Mm -hmm. oftentimes it isn't just a big payday in a litigation. Justice is crossing that finishing line and Mm. being heard and making change. What struck me about your book, too, and I'm sure it was kind of the, you know, the reason to be, is that many people think issues like bad water or whatever are neutral issues. Like, oh, the water is bad, you know. But what struck me about your book is there's, number one, a force making it bad. And number two, a force keeping it bad. (laughs) And number three, a force 
who will bully you so you don't try to make it good. Like all of those three things are happening usually at the right? same time. And that's the eye-opening part. Like it's not a neutral, oh, there's dirty water. Maybe if I run it long enough, <laughs> it'll get it'll get clean. You know, like that's the, yeah. the uh, backwards thinking that I think we have. It's like, no, if you run it long enough, that two-headed frog's going to come out of your faucet if you run it long enough for her. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. And it's so disheartening. It's so frustrating. It, it, it wounds me deeply. And I think it does mm-hmm. all of us. And I really feel, Larry, that we are in a wake up moment. And I am so thankful for that. Whether we got comfortable or complacent or, you know, we bought the, the illusion of the fact that somebody had our back and we're seeing that that's not happening. The change will come and it is here. And I believe this when we wake up, and we, the people, ourselves, own the fact that we can get involved. We do have a heart. We do have a brain. We do have courage. And it is time for us to put our agencies and our politicians to task. I'm serious, to do their damn job. But it's up to us to get to them and say, did you know this is going on? Hey, this is going on. And I've seen how contagious it is and infectious in communities when they get that information, that empowerment comes and they collectively get together. Um, they're a hard force to beat. Is water regulated both federally and locally, or is it just locally? Is it on the state level locally or locally, locally? How is water actually regulated? Well, it's basically supposed to be regulated by the Safe Drinking Water Act. Right. So, and then we have federal are, oversight. We have yeah, there's state federal oversight. regulations for water, right? Yes, there are. They usually set the MCLs for contaminants, which we need a lot more MCLs. So they set guidelines. Oftentimes that comes from the EPA. And then states can have different MCLs and or guidelines. CDC can initiate them. And even at your local level, they can initiate orders or clean up or affect change. So there's quite a few out there. And I think people feel or believe that there's just this one umbrella of oversight. Um, and that's not true at all. I really feel the change when we're talking about our water issues is going to come from your own hearts into your own community from the ground up. I got to be honest with you. I think half the time they, they have no idea what's going on anyway, not the community, many of the agencies, unfortunately. So that's why we need to speak out and tell them, Hey, we're here, by the way. What are some of the difficulties in determining whether your water is contaminated? Like, and and let's talk about, what does that mean, contaminated? Because I think sometimes I feel the fight is people have different definitions of what actually contaminated means. And there are certainly like obvious definitions, you know, but then there are, you get into like, uh, there's levels of things where like there are certain things that are allowed in the water, but at certain levels, right? Correct. And, you know, a lot of times they set standards, but just because they've set a guideline or a standard doesn't ultimately mean that it's safe. Right, so, right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think of common sense, and we talk about that in the book, under logic, which is basically your common sense. But I, I just, drives me crazy that I have to think that I'm going to argue with you about a known poison, whether we should drink it <laughs> three parts per billion or four. I don't I give know. a shit. I'm not drinking it. 
there's so much egregious conduct that goes on. And whether the system by design doesn't find the information or whether there's someone inept that doesn't get what the information means, there's a whole lot of ways to move these numbers around. Mm-hmm. And what I think is missing the most is the people. We don't listen to them on the ground. Since Flint was in the news today, a year before Flint became what Flint knew, Dr. Mona was clearly on to something. Several of the community members were, and they wrote to me. And so I was in Australia and I got it to my water expert right away. He said, I'm going to Flint tomorrow. So see, the, the communities oftentimes know but when they start to find out and they start pushing, they get the push back, you know, that becomes very suppressive. And so they don't always know how to push through that. That's when oftentimes they'll write me. And if you're looking for permission for me to push forward, I'm going to give it to you. Right. <laughs> and what they need is support. Mm-hmm. And so when Bob went out there, he wrote an entire water protocol and we worked on that together. The city told us to take a hike. It's one thing when a corporation poisons you. I don't know why we would almost expect them to hide that. But when it's your own local water municipality and your own state agencies, that's a real kick in the gut. That's what really got people about the Flint thing. I remember that, you know, especially the children and drinking the lead and all that stuff, you know. And I agree with you, even though. In my mind, a lot of the the nuclear testing and everything, all that's all the contamination from all that was cover up from the government as well, right? Absolutely, right. Or at least creating obstacles was from the government. I don't don't know why we do that, and and you know this should upset all of us. And and I think that we're in a moment where we've been able to kind of pull back that curtain and really go, what the hell is going on? And, um, you know, we talk about in the book, the military and Camp Lejeune, and they covered up for years the fact that that military base and their drinking water was heavily contaminated with TCE. And our men and women in this armed forces make it home from war and they get poisoned on their own soil. That's ridiculous. So... You know, the book Superman's Not Coming, I hope, can give people more information that when they shut that book, they're good and pissed. Because why do we not know this information? Uh, you read the first chapter, you get pissed. <laughs> well, you know, I will say, and I encourage people, uh, I, I feel that pain. It's overwhelming. So just take one bite of the apple at a time yes, and yes. digest it. <laughs> well, what it is, it's a... It's a very intriguing textbook in many ways, you know, because there is a lot of information. But I like how you bring different types of receipts and you set the record straight as well. Like, for instance, I've always felt environment issues. I felt this way as a kid and clean water, all that kind of stuff. I never saw those as partisan issues. I just thought saw them as health issues. And I love how you point out it was the Nixon administration that created the EPA. And you have that great speech that Nixon gave in your book. And it sounds like what those same conservatives today would call some tree hugging liberal making the speech. No, it was it was I'm not a crook Richard Nixon, you know, who, by the way, you know, actually did a lot in terms of his presidency, you know, that a lot of people would think hey, there's no way a Republican would do that sort of thing. But to his credit and 
not just to Nixon's credit, I'll say to the country's credit, it was a bar a bipartisan issue. Actually, there even the ERA, there were a lot of issues. This is off the topic. Like something like ERA, equal right, the women's equal rights amendment. That was a bipartisan issue when it first came out. It was on the Republican plank. All these things got so divisive over the years. Right. Uh, right. It really infuriates me because some of these things are human issues. They're issues all humans should be concerned about. They're not political. There shouldn't be a political uh, side to uh, having clean water, right? Absolutely. You know, when I first started in Hinckley, uh, you know, everyone said, especially experts and people around PG&E, you're not a doctor, lawyer, scientist. What do you know? Why should we even hear you? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I don't have to be any of that to be a human and to tell you what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing isn't wrong. And then you throw me into this category of, well, if you're, well, you can't talk to the Democrats if you're a registered Republican. Oh, but you're a Democrat. Therefore, oh, of course you care about this issue, but the Republicans don't. I'm like, this is bullshit. This is that divisiveness is precisely one of the biggest problems that we see in our water issues. And our environmental issues, and it should not be that. It's a human issue. It's a right to life issue. I mean, come on. We're just going to continue to drink poisoned water and deteriorate our health and our welfare and see more diseases um, and do what? Nothing because you're one party or the other? Absolutely not. What what exactly were the rollbacks that Trump did to Obama's? Obama kind of updated the. Was it the Clean Water Act? Yeah, well, he did a lot of changes to the Toxic Substance Control Act as well. Toxic Substance Control Act, yeah. Right. And there's Mm -hmm. a real good uh, Trevor's Law in there um, that President Obama signed into law. This was Mm -hmm. a young boy in Idaho that had brain cancer, as many of his friends did. Mm. He was one of the lucky ones to survive. And we really don't have a national registry reporting database in this country. And we certainly don't have one that's self-reporting where people can say, hey, I live over here and get on a map and light it up and say, there's a thousand of us that are suffering from, we believe, water pollution. We just got notice from our municipality. It's highly contaminated with firefighting foam. What the hell? And we can't share information. So we don't see the collective. We don't see the whole. He's doing nothing with Trevor's Law or even implementing it. We know about climate change. I think it was a mistake to leave the Paris Climate Accord. We're starting to see what's happening with rollbacks on allowing a free-for-all for any chemicals into the environment that can get into our rivers, creeks, and tributaries and rolling those good regulations back. You know, most people, when they see a deer in the road, uh, slow down, stop, swerve, don't hit it. This administration, when I'm talking about the environment, it's like you got a brick just sitting on the gas pedal, and you're just going to plow right through it. And it's not going to work out very well. We can't just keep taking for granted this planet. We need, we can't keep poisoning our food chain. We can't keep poisoning our water. We can't just keep fracking and drilling and drying up wells and ignoring climate change. And that's why, you know, I brought up the end, at the end of the book, what happened in South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa where they were truly going to face day zero. No water. Yeah, I remember that. Coming out of the tap. But the collective, the community, they cooperated, they preserved, and they they really had to reduce their water. 
uh, agencies listened and they worked to divert it. This administration is doing nothing to divert what we can see and know is coming. We're, we're just going to get run right into it. And uh, that's what upsets me with the administration and the changes uh-huh. that they're making and or rolling back or not implementing. It's amazing. Um, your story is very interesting to me on a personal level, too. Um, where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Lawrence, Kansas. In Lawrence, Kansas, right. It's so cl- classic middle America, all that kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> and, you know, loving nature and everything. Yeah. And you never saw yourself in the position. What What was your... Is as we say in the screenplay business, your inciting incident. Like, or when I mean by inciting incident, I don't mean just recognizing that something was wrong and your kids were drinking bad water. But as you point out in your book, and and you give some help to people to how to do things. But what pushed you to actually do something? Like, what was that moment where you realized you actually had to do something yourself? A couple of things ha- happened for me along my life. Uh, I have a learning disability. I'm a dyslexic, and so I was often. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was often seen as the underdog and labeled and judged and perceived as different. And and nothing bothered me more than being judged and put in that box when I knew I had a brain. But because I wasn't learning a way someone felt I should, therefore I got categorized and pushed over here. I had two great parents that helped me through that. My mom, my greatest cheerleader, um, I'd come home feeling dejected all the time. And she'd say, you know, you have to have your stick to Aaron. And I'm like, what the, what the hell does that mean? So she gets out the Webster's Dictionary, it's definition, noun, propensity to follow through in a determined manner, dogged persistence, born of obligation and stubbornness. And that resonated with me because stubborn I am, persistent <laughs> I can be, I'm mm-hmm. absolutely dogged. And then my father, who taught me and my my dad ran the pipelines for city court mm-hmm. so he would see things out there that were going wrong and how it could affect water so very early on he'd sing songs to me about water and see that water trickling down the stream enjoy it today for some time it might not be seen i thought you're gonna um, rhyme green with that yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. so but for my father it was about deception and it drove him crazy. So I made the terrible mistake of lying to him once, got grounded for an entire school semester, <laughs> had a big trip planned to go to Chicago with my girlfriends. But it was a letter that my father wrote me about that you, your brothers and sister, your mother and I cannot honestly and freely communicate with each other, you know, if we don't believe and hear in what we are saying. And that your family, which until you start your own, is the finest possession you'll have on this earth. And he went on to say me, to me that, you know, the loss of your trip would not be that great. The loss of your respect for each other would be much, much greater. And it wasn't until I grew up, had my own family, and I went out to Hinckley, and I saw these people being suppressed, being told they were crazy, being robbed of what they knew was the greatest gifts they had, their health, their land, their water, their family. And what happened for me at that moment became a perfect storm. And I remember my dad about respect, who is disrespecting this environment and these people, and where is the deception? And when I went home and found his letter, it all came together. I must rise up. I am them. They are me. I could break out into the Beatles song right now, come together (laughs) uh, right now over me. 
I just felt absolutely compelled and it was visceral because mm-hmm. I was them. It could be me. And this was a moment to stand up. Wow. That's, I mean, your dad, wow. You talk about a contribution. That is a pure human contribution to someone's life. What a lesson. I Boy, you almost made me cry when you were saying that. I was like, oh my God. Because I've had so many conversations like that with my kids, but that's so profound. He's so right. And you really can't get it until later, you know, when you're looking at, you're right. at, at your family, you go, oh, fuck. That was good. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, listen, I thought my dad was the meanest, stupidest yeah. person on earth to do that for me. Yeah. But it wasn't until I got my own family and really understood the meaning of his message and saw what was happening to these people. I remember now, maybe that's how that felt for my dad when I did that to him. Mm-hmm. I had to respond. And even in Hinkley, you know, Roberta Walker, that's was at home. She knew she had that first moment and she just kept getting pushed back, pushed back. And there's something so amazing about moms. And I'll tell you, they're on the rise. You know, we could talk about Hannibal. We could talk about Flint. We could talk about Tulsa, Martin County. I could talk to you about every community in every single state. 99.99% of the time, the person that notices something that wants to say something is, is mom. Right. And she's not going to have it. You know, what's interesting is uh, when you talk about um, that truth relationship that you want to have with the family, and that is the underpinning of, I think, your work. You know, it's like there's not a truth relationship right now with the people who are, are either in charge of the water or the people who are dirtying it up. And I like the way you your book clears things up in different ways for us. Like you have something called Faking the Science, which <laughs> I, thought, I thought was interesting. Can you just explain what that is to people? Because... There are a lot of people, Aaron, and you are not one of these people, by the way, but there are a lot of people who just believe something if it's like in a magazine or a periodical, it's written down somewhere. Like there's something about it being written down that makes it true, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And faking the, that's what I thought when I saw faking the science. I'm like, oh, if it's in a journal or it's reported as science or that type of thing, we think that it has to be true. Yes, and we do. And um, that's because we don't, can't see behind the curtain, if you will, of mm-hmm. how numbers can be altered and not necessarily taken away, but moved around and good luck finding them. Right. And we and- had an assumption that they're going to do that right by us. Well, they didn't do that in pg e where they actually paid for to alter the science. So this goes on. I don't know if we don't want to believe it goes on. Even when I see that it goes on, I'm freaking shocked on every single time. and. For me, it's this simple. When I'm in a community, and every community, going all the way back to Hinkley, people aren't so bored or aren't so crazy that they sit around in their life and make this shit up. It's really happening to them. Yet we don't want to believe or listen to them. We want to discount that couldn't be happening. And Hinkley it was, but science didn't want us to find out that it was happening and it could really affect you. So they, they They rewrote science and they got caught. I was on a interview with a scientist and I believe it was Columbia, Missouri on the use of ammonia in water. And many communities, when we're adding ammonia to the system, they have lead contamination. Oftentimes you don't see it. They want to play with you. Oh, that couldn't be real. So the scientists... Why do they Pardon? add ammonia? Why do they add ammonia to the water? 
because it's cheap. They don't want to follow the safe drinking water after all. So it's cheap that, you know, if we would invest in infrastructure and people first, these companies would be a whole lot better off. So would we down the end of the line. But the scientist said to me, let's be honest, Darren, you don't have all the data. Well, you're right. I don't. And I have no problem being honest and telling you I was wrong. I made a mistake or that you're right. I don't. I don't have all the data. I said, but here's what you're missing. You don't have all the data either as the scientist to conclude that, in fact, this chemical isn't causing that reaction. And so there gets oftentimes is a division. And we need to to just go back home when that fight occurs into ourselves. You know you shouldn't be drinking a poison. We know the dangers of lead. There's a whole long list of things you could be exposed to. And use that common sense set of skills not to drink the water, how to spread or protect your family. You know, honestly, if any one of us had a municipal system that was tainted with rat poison and it was headline news, we're honestly not going to call the National Institute of Health to ask, right. well, your, your, your MCL, your guidelines, two parts per brewery, mine's at three. Should I drink it? It's right. just two, not going to drink it. Two parts rat poison to your three parts rat poison. And then and, you have, you know, yeah, go ahead. Science does have a place and I never would ever take that away. But it can get corrupted. It can be bought Mm -hmm. and paid for. And we need to be on the lookout for that. People that care about climate science have to know this, too, that you just can't trust everything. You know, you have to look at where this information is coming from, who, you know, where it's being sourced and that type of thing. You also mentioned publication bias as an issue. Can you talk about that for a second? Well, (laughs) again, I think that's bought and paid for. There's always some agenda behind these, you know. Uh, or how it gets buried. It's it's over the sake of money. It's mm-hmm. over the sake of favoring a political side. It's over this favoring, you know, don't put that in a publication because that company will get mad. They don't mm-hmm. want that information out there. Is this controlled by the corporations or who's controlling that type of thing? A lot of, well, it's in some instances, it could be science. It can be a company. I, I think it can be uh, follow the money. And that's what we've seen with publications or, or bias, uh, fear. So it, it can. this is where social media, we have to be careful. And you're absolutely right about everything you read. Some of my friends will send me something. I'm like, where the hell did you read that? Bet what you've read. You know, don't just assume that it's a fact. And that is awful to do to all of us because we, by nature, want to trust. We're not in that position anymore. And so, the, so it could be coming from a whole lot of places where all that publication bias comes from, but it does exist. And, um, and you know, people can get grants and big mm. companies can pay for those grants and then they kind of change their opinion and their science. So a lot of it's follow that, follow the yellow brick road, to, you know, to <laughs> what you think that wizard is or where you're going to get the money. Right. Let's talk about some of the chemicals, too, because like I said, some of this is a textbook, you know, just being aware of all the I was shocked at all the different types of chemicals, because uh, I because you think of lead, you know, especially with Flint and that type of thing. And by the way, even though people have this information, I just want to restate. Let's just talk about very simple. Oh, uh, what are the signs of lead poisoning? How bad lead is for you? Let's just talk about that just so people know in case wherever they are. 
there's something happening like that? You know, uh, what are some of the major, how about this? What are some of the major signs that lead may be in your water? Well, usually the first thing, because lead is tricky Mm because you don't, you don't see it or you don't really smell it. Chrome six Mm -hmm. at a a, a certain level in your water, it will start turning yellow. So Mm. there's signs for people. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be like that rusty looking water to have lead in it, right? No, once once right. the rusty looking water starts yeah. coming <laughs> out, uh, yeah. you already you're already experiencing <laughs> problems, and you probably yes. already emailed me. Um, yes, it's hair loss. Uh, I, I, it's fatigue. I don't feel right. It's hair loss. Uh, it's moms noticing and children. You know, they they're they're slowing down, or, or they're they're not connecting or they're experiencing some type of unusual rash and they keep going back to the doctor, but they don't know what it is. So uh, it's something simple. It's not really big and it starts small and it just keeps happening and it keeps kind of growing. And by the time you realize what's gone on, you've already been exposed. You're already experiencing the symptoms and you're probably already trying to figure it out. Uh, Same thing happened in Hannibal, Missouri. Now, Flint happened when they switched river water. Right. Hannibal, Missouri, they were adding ammonia to the system. Yeah. And adding ammonia to the system creates a very caustic, angry water. And uh, it pits the distribution system. And this is a really scary thing in the book that we're going to have to work to have policies for. The mm-hmm. distribution system, so the point where water comes into the municipality runs through miles and miles and oftentimes lead pipes, eroded pipes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a bad infrastructure system. And by the time it reaches your tap, that contaminant can get to you. The entire distribution system is unregulated. All kinds of things go on in there, especially if we mistreat the water. So sometimes you'll get signs by smell, uh, color changes. And even in Flint, you know, with the lead pipes, what happened was all the iron, the manganese, and the lead were being pitted and corroded out of the system and delivered to your tap. So for a while, things came through. You didn't always see a color. Uh, When they were running the fire hydrants, it just takes one person to make that observation. And I want that one person to believe when you see something and you can say something, you can make a difference. You know, in Hinkley, that's going all the way back to that. It was the Anderson family that was running their well and an actual health official drove by and saw the green water. But that health official just filed the document and it never went anywhere. So um, I hope that our agencies and we as people need to put pressure on them. You you need to know what's happening here. And oftentimes they don't question something and it just goes away. And I can't believe in Flint, they thought they'd get away uh, with what they tried to get away with. And anytime a municipality or an agency or even a company is always out of fear or greed, they shut up. Right. What is chromium six? There's a chromium three and there's a chromium six. What are the dangers of that? If you can recall offhand. And how can it be detected? Like, how can a regular person know what that is? The federal guideline for is for total chromium 
at 100 parts per billion. Some states set it at 50. That's for total chromium, which is a natural element and it's stable. Mm-hmm. Hexavalent chromium is a man-made compound. Now, science likes to come in and argue with you. There's a few places where there is natural occurring chrome-6 in the environment. Very few. It does exist, and I can't tell you that it doesn't. But chromium-6 is a man-made contaminant. Uh, and it's used as an anti-rust corrosion inhibitor. Uh, so it's widely used in the airlines. It's, uh, you'll find it in salt. Uh, they use it on the road because it's, uh. you know, it's uh, corrosive. Uh, PG&E, gas compressor plants, because they operate like piston engines. And so it keeps the system from corroding. It's cheap. It's cheap. It's cheap. And it's effective. And it is highly toxic. Nowhere in the states do we have, except California, and we just got pushed back to court, a hexavalent chromium standard in drinking water. So in California, we've been fighting this for 20 years. The public health goal, which is basically the science done right, when they set a public health goal, that's where we're supposed to stay close to. So our MCLs, need to be set as close to the public health goal because that's protective of public health and welfare. We never do that. Are they using like the chromium-6 to <laughs> to fight the lead? I mean, is that the thinking? Uh, well, uh, no, but when the chromium-6, when you have a chromium-6 contamination, you're definitely uh-huh. going to corrode the system. Right. So that's oh, a chemical God. that can corrode the infrastructure. And then you have chromium-6 and you have lead and iron and manganese. And so water is not a soundbite. It's a story. It always is. And it can be a complicated story. But when you understand it, you just instinctually rise to protect it because we are water. That is life. Mm. So to, to defend water, you're going to be defending yourself. Yes. The, one of the ways you put it in your book is you talk about connecting the dots and building a map. You know? Yeah. And this is how, you know... In this book, guys, I mean, Aaron, really, you, you, you're you an activist after you read this book. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how you can I hope be. you're pissed. I reread the book uh, for audio. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, I was like, fuck, I, I can't say perfluorooctanoic acid one more time. Um, but yes, you can. Mm-hmm. And I, honestly, you can. We have to. We have to have the information. We have to want to. And it is affecting so many people everywhere. And we're just leaving a shit storm for the next generation. And I dedicated this book to my four grandchildren. That really turned me around. Uh, I was getting pretty tired. I started when I was 30. I'm 60 now with four grandkids. And when my first granddaughter- Still looking 30. Still looking 30. (laughs) I'm hanging in there. Oh yeah. That's all you can do. I just thought I was tired. And You know, you feel like you're beating your head against a brick wall. Mm -hmm. And my first granddaughter was born. I was right there. I saw her coming out and I'm like, yeah, no, I've been energized because honestly, these issues are real. And I don't want anyone to think it's fake news. We worked really hard. Suzanne Boothby has been amazing to make sure it was factual and vetted and over and over it to make sure that people knew that that was a trusted source or information. 
we don't see the big picture. And my, my map, we hope in the book helps people to realize you are not alone. You know, there's 200 more Flint's in America. We, we saw what was going on in New Jersey. I have a picture in there that someone took in the Senate building in Washington, D.C. Don't drink the water contains lead. Are we for real? Oh my gosh. We have to address these issues. We all know we are first world because we've had this infrastructure and water. And that infrastructure is in peril. We know this. So is our water. What are we thinking? We must get busy reinvesting in our infrastructure and our people and their health. Very well said. I really appreciate you bringing on. I mean, there's so much information here and everything, but I just want to have a couple of direct questions before before I let you get away. Um, someone well, notices that you read the book, honestly, because I know it's like your brain can hurt. So I'm having well, fun talking to you. I am a nerd for information. I love information when it's presented in an interesting way. And your book is endlessly fascinating. I mean, your head will explode. I you can you can't read it in one setting, or because there's so many technical terms and like a, there's this chemical and that chemical, you know. And so my eyes glaze over. But then, you know, you your personality's on that page as well. You know the way that you're explaining your calls to action and everything. But also, it's sobering as well. It kind of keeps you awake as you're reading it. It's very sobering to read these things. And I'm glad that the Flint thing just happened because it does remind us. And and one of the things that I did want to ask you about that, and that's one of the reasons why I asked you about what, what caused you to do it in the first place. Average person out there, one of the moms, let's say, notices something's wrong with the water. What's the first thing she should do? The first thing is when you notice the water, don't second guess yourself and talk yourself out of making a phone call or talking to a neighbor. That's usually the first thing we'll do because we think we can't or shouldn't. You gaslight yourself in many ways, right? Yeah. Well, the moment we get it in our gut, we all know it. And Mm -hmm. and I know you've experienced that moment, just almost the hair on your back. But yeah, we move away from that. Stay with it. If it's water, don't be afraid to make a phone call to your municipality and say, "Uh, yo, what's going on? Sometimes they don't know, but most of the time they do know. And if it is water and you get all of your municipality, check your bill. Every three months, you should be getting your water quality report. If you're not, demand it. And where do you get that from? It should be coming with your water bill every month, every quarter. Okay. And if you're not getting one call and say, I want you to send me my water quality report. And can you trust that report? Well, you're going to get accurate enough information. They're going to tell you it's deemed safe. It's within guidelines. So I was talking to a reporter in Arizona. She goes, I got my water quality report after I read your book. I had no idea that I had Chrome 6 in my water. But if it's below a guideline, oftentimes they don't have to report it. And if they do... They'll tell you it's within the parameters. So she started looking in the book. An environmental working group did the whole study on Chrome 6 and contamination throughout the United States. It's like two-thirds of the U.S. has hexavalent chromium in its water. So then she looked at what was going on in California. She goes, wait, mine's way higher than California's supposed public health goal. She goes, now I'm worried. What do I do? So at that moment, that knowledge gave her 
that I need to act and defend myself. We, we can't sit around and think that the water coming out of the tap in that report, you need to do your research. We have an obligation to ourselves and our family to know more. And I want people, don't be afraid if you don't know. Every single, I think most of my life, I'm like, what the hell is that? Oh, 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 I better find out. We need to make it our business to find out. Yeah. So I those mean, are just the first few steps you can yeah. take. And the most important one is that message. Uh-huh. You're going to know it when it happens. And when it does, it's going to hit you right here. Stay with that. Don't let a bunch of negative Nancy voices get inside your head. Really. You know, own that and make that phone call. That's your first step. And at what point do they make that phone call to Aaron Brockovich? They can call, they can call or email me anytime. I'm having a hard time keeping up. So I have yeah, to always be careful with that. Go back and remember in the book, it says, if you're looking for permission to act, you're going to get it from me. And what you're really looking for is support. I will give you that. Go to a neighbor, initiate that first movement and start getting that collective and that support with you. I, I talk all the time and I believe this from the bottom of my heart. I go to bed at night and I think, what is it I could give to people that they can have so they know? Um, and I, I teach about logic, leverage, loyalty, and love. Logic's that common sense. Stay with it. And I get that from Kansas. Listen, when I was outside playing on a hot summer night and the air became oppressive and tornado sirens went off, I assure you I didn't call the weather channel to see if it was an F4 or 5. I knew to move to safety. Stay with that. Leverage is joining your community. The collective is amazing. One plus one equals two. But in principle of leverage, one plus one could be a thousand or more. You'll be heard. Loyalty. Stay true to your cause. That's your stick to I think of it as a Super Bowl, right? So you've got the ball and you get hit and knocked down 40 yards. You, you don't throw your ball in the field and walk off. You get booted out of the stadium. What are you doing? Get that thing back up. Get the ball back up. Learn your information and you'll rush 60 yards. But be prepared for pushbacks and to go the long haul. You know, I haven't seen Flint give up once. Their hope, their fight in that community for six years. That's stick to And ultimately, Larry, I think we've all forgotten. I do not wake up every day, and I don't think you do, or most of us do, born of divisiveness and hate. We need to all ask ourselves what our why is and why we're getting up every day. It's because we love our family. We love health. We love the water. We, We love our homes. Yes, we love going to work. We love a paycheck. We love sending our kids to college. We love and want to be here to watch your daughter walk down the aisle your son get married. These are things that motivate us. Woo, very well said. And even when we criticize and we protest and we fight, it's because we love this country. You know, we want it to be better. We want it to live up right. to that to that promise, you know. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, when we, when we get up and about and we're seeing it happen, you know, I have hope. I'm like, yes. Wow, that's great. I love that you have hope. And I tell you guys, this, Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show. I just want to tell everybody, and I'm in this category, that's why I'm saying this, is there's a lot of people that say, man, I wish I had more information about some of this stuff, but where do I get that information? Like, if there's so many places. This is the book, you guys. It's all in one place. Superman is not coming. Aaron Brockovich lays it all out. 
She's like, no, motherfuckers. It's right here. Chapter one, chapter two. I'll tell you everything you need to know. And it's very well done. Aaron, keep fighting the fight. You're an inspiration to so many people. Uh, I just thank you. I thank you so much for what you do. It really, really, really cool. You know, it's a labor of love. And it was never about me. It's always yeah. about all of us. That two-headed frog just started everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Well, I, I, I will never forget that day. Someone saved me. That's oh. true, right? You actually saw a two-headed frog, right? And green water. Oh, yeah. And yeah. animals covered with four and 500. I uh, saw it. And I uh, still had people telling me, you never saw it. I'm like, what? Uh, Oh, you want to set me off? Don't tell me. I didn't just see that. Don't even go there. Oh, man. Because this is not right. This is fucked up. I agree. Well said. Aaron Brockovich, (laughs) Superman's Not Coming. Get the book. Thanks again, Aaron. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.